Hey fam, it is time to pull another Listen Honey classic from The Vault. This is one of my favorite episodes that we released on this show and I just had to bring it back for y'all because I love so many of the gems that we dropped here. So I hope you enjoy. I'm feeling extra sassy pants this Monday, so you're getting a little honey with your honey. Hi, everybody. Happy Monday. Happy, amazing life. I hope everybody woke up feeling fresh and so, like, amazing today. I don't know if you did. I did because I think I've just been a lot more present after the holidays. I've been more thankful about the friends I have around me. I've been more cognizant about my thoughts. And so if you've noticed the past few podcasts I've had, I've really been focusing on how to be aware of what's going on in your mind and how to really like yourself in the process of whatever the hell's going on in there, especially for the holidays. I think it's so important for us to be aware of what's running um, through our thoughts. We had a great podcast with Jim Quick that I got so many DMs about. People were really, you guys were really responding about some of the habits that Jim Quick was pointing out to us, how our brain is kind of like the algorithm of Instagram. And whether you know it or not, if you are reading and liking certain posts that are a bunch of junk and um, toxic for your mind, if you don't clear that out, just like Instagram, it'll keep feeding you and keep popping up to remind you of just the ugly in the world. So just like your brain, you actually have to control it and clear that out. And you guys really resonated with that. So I'm going to keep on track with that with my guest today. So fam, we've got an amazing person here with us today. Dr. Supatra Tovar is a registered dietitian, a professional psychologist, and a fitness expert. The fact that dietitian and fitness expert can be combined with psychology in order to understand what we're doing to our mind when we're malnutritioning our bodies is mind-blowing to me. I really want to understand, when you're sitting at a dinner table, doctor, how do you describe what you do? Well, I practice holistic health psychotherapy. So that means I like to integrate what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our spirit, and what's going on in our body. So... When I started out in school, I, I was very interested in nutrition and how we can improve our health through what we eat. Um, I honestly think that it's the key to not only our body's health, but our, our mind's health. What we eat is. What we eat. Mm, and what we're not eating. Yes. Spoken from a person who had a bit of body dysmorphia and an eating disorder. Right. You're right. Right. And when it comes to eating... It's so fueled by emotion, so fueled by what we are thinking about ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, that I realized that I really needed to get further education so that I could address what was going on in the mind. You're really ahead of your time, though. If you were studying these things and going to school for this, I would imagine years ago, because I know it takes a long time to get these um, these degrees, mm -hmm. holistic and wellness, I mean, this is kind of a trend that's surfacing right. maybe in the last five years, but you knew this way beyond. Right. How? Well, it and was... And by the way, for people who don't know, and this is very layman's terms, but holistic and wellness is more of a mindset to heal yourself through natural avenues rather than anything medicated. Right. Correct? Okay. Exactly. Um, I became really interested in nutrition because I, I witnessed a very, very close and dear friend of mine have an eating disorder when I was really young. And there was nothing I could do. There was mm -hmm. like 
no way that I could help her. There was no way that I can make it better, make her stop. And so as I kind of traveled through my schooling and my work, it was really when I became a Pilates instructor that it hit home to me that people's body image, the way that they thought about themselves, um, the way that they treated themselves, uh, for the most part, is really bad, really damaging. And when you say people, I'm, that's interesting. Are you purposely saying men and women? Yes. Ah, okay. Because I when, I, when I was styling, I used to host a show called How Do I Look? Mm. And for all these seasons, I think we did like eight seasons, every person that I had to make over, I had to kind of assess their mental to see that it's not really just the outfit that's going to help them change. I want them to change their lifestyle. It had to be about their image of their body. Right. And so each person, I had them tr- I had them draw me a picture of what they thought their body looked like. Right. And then I actually traced an outline of their body on a huge sheet of life-size paper. Wow. And every single time, doctor, both images were completely different. Bellies were a whole, like three or four sizes yes. bigger. Hips were huge. Mm-hmm. So I realized that women, I would say 99% of women suffer from body dysmorphia. Tell me the real statistic. I mean, do men and women both suffer? How much do you think it is? Yes, it, there's there's a lot of statistics out there. There's the 70% statistic okay. that uh, 70% of women view themselves as less than their ideal. Mm. Um, wow, I 70%. Think it's it's kind of the hidden disorder. Yeah. Um, it's something that it takes a lot of courage to talk about because you have to admit feeling a lot of shame right. about your body. And it's really tied to two very insidious problems in our society. And one is lookism, which is basically the promotion of uh, a body ideal. So this is, we're saying media. It's media, media pressure. It's not just media, though. We find it in the home. We find it at mm. school. We find it at work. We, we Especially at work, we see it in the promotion of the brand of, uh, you know, a company. If you don't fit that brand, you usually don't get hired. And that is insidious in our country today yeah and but it also is in the world too yeah mm-hmm. i mean in asian families you gain five pounds and right. everybody in your aunt knows they're talking about yes. it in front of you yes and if you're not eating then mm-hmm. they're concerned and they're overfeeding you exactly. out of love exactly but it does do something to your mind exactly so there you have lookism and then you have basically it's kind of polar opposite which is weightism which What's is that? the discrimination um and bias against people who are considered overweight or obese So you have people in the world that are trapped between these two distinct problems. Can I ascribe, can I make myself fit into this perfect ideal? Or can I, you know, what do I do if I'm not that perfect ideal? Because I'm shamed, I'm bullied, I'm, you know, talked about for my weight. And if you're in the more overweight or the obese category, it's kind of free reign discrimination it's pretty much the most accepted form of discrimination in our country the most wait the most accepted form of discrimination mm-hmm. is weight yes. weightism yes i never heard that word before mm-hmm. it, and that's what i'm saying is that it's really kind of a hidden problem but that's why it affects everyone because everyone is afraid of being shamed for their weight if they're overweight. And everyone is trying to ascribe to an ideal that is completely unrealistic and oftentimes not even real. Like if you look at the if you look at magazines, you know that those those models are photoshopped. You know that they have 
uh, a distinct thigh gap that they probably don't have in real life. So what's really fascinating about Lammer magazines and those kinds of images is those models themselves can't even live up to their photoshopped ideal. So to pursue that, to go for that, to make that your goal is completely unrealistic. And for most people, and I would say probably 99% of people are unhappy in that pursuit. I concur. Mm -hmm. So doctor, let's start from there. If we're being raised in a certain household that puts that pressure on of weight, all the magazines and the commercials and the things we are flooded with for whether it's Instagram or, you know, um, images we see around us reminds us of weight. So now that is looming over us, right. this judgment on our body and this 70 to 99% of us that are unhappy with the way we look, men and women. Okay, how does that affect our psyche? Where does it go from there? Uh, there's so much. So just in the pursuit alone, dieting alone to achieve that ideal. Have you ever dieted? Uh, I live in LA. <laughs> Kale's my middle name. No, uh, to give you a little backstory, doctor, I just realized about two years ago that I had an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So I've been in television for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And when I first moved to LA, I weighed more. So I can even show you headshots from the beginning of my my, my career. I was, I was cute chubby. Mm -hmm. I had chubby cheeks and all those things. But I saw the girls around me mm -hmm. and I saw the girls that were getting hired. Mm -hmm. And I didn't necessarily think I had to lose weight. I just started to just like cut out certain things that I knew LA didn't offer regularly like right. burgers and bread mm -hmm. like everything was like cut the bun have the kale leafy bun instead or mm -hmm. whatever it would be and before I knew it I dropped 20 pounds so I weighed 100 pounds mm -hmm. now every time I went into auditions or into fittings I was complimented for my size mm -hmm. oh my god you're so skinny you fit everything sample you're so great mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it became my personality it mm -hmm. was like oh Jeannie's so skinny like when I saw them it would be like the first it became part of my Part of my bio, I felt right. like, like Jeannie Mai, television host, super skinny, cute, can fit in anything. Right. And then I was in a show about fashion. So without knowing it, I wasn't throwing up or anything. But in eating disorder world, I think that you either have to throw up or stop yourself from eating. I just controlled everything. Right. I did not eat past seven. I never touched a carb, doctor. Mm -hmm. I never touched a French fry. No buns, no bread. Girl, that bread basket, and I just looked at it. The cheesy rolls, I was mm -hmm. like, oh. But I didn't cry about it because I liked being skinny. It tasted mm -hmm. good to mm -hmm. me to look that way. Mm -hmm. But then I saw an episode of myself on a show that I host called The Real, and I was, I was telling women out there that we shouldn't body shame ourselves. Yes. And then in another episode, I was making fun of my legs, my chicken legs. I was making fun of my booty. And I was like, yo, bitch, you're doing the same thing. You're that girl. And then I saw my, and then all of a sudden, it was like a shallow hal moment. Yeah. I looked at pictures of myself and I saw how stick skinny I was. Now, I'm not knocking anybody out there for being thin. But I knew I was working really hard and hungry to stay right. that way. Right. So then I learned after I I really Googled eating disorder and I found that even over controlling yourself yes. and having a mental image of yourself that constantly is reminded of how fat you are or how skinny you are mm -hmm. can be an eating disorder. Exactly. And were you happy? No, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. At that time, I was going through a really uh, rough time in my marriage and I ended up in divorce and that broke the spell. Right. I realized that I was, things were kind of, I guess, out of control in my own marriage and I wasn't happy. So the one thing that I could control that made me feel like it was balanced to me, quote, I'm doing air quotes, yes. was the scale. 
Like right. looking and fitting in things all the time. Right. Having things sized and making sure I could fit it a month later when that size came back to and me. And often that's the basis of an eating disorder. What's that? Is needing to control aspects of your life. Son and not of a being bitch. able to. So you do it in the one way that you right. know how. Right. But it never leads to happiness. It never leads to it's feeling like good about It's like an ongoing race. Yes. And, and you get never so tired. Ends. Yeah, you're that right. It never ends. You're right. How do you know if you have body dysmorphia or an eating disorder? How, what, what red flags should we give to our listeners out there right. to start with step one, acknowledging the truth, right? Right. So body dysmorphia is basically a kind of an obsessive view of either one part or several parts or your entire What's body. What's obsessive though? Obsessive means that you are constantly thinking about this body part or your entire body or certain aspects of the way that you look and you are constantly worried about that aspect. So say it's like, oh, I've got this roll in my belly and all you do is think about Check. it and you check it in the mirror often, check. several times a day. Check, check. And you also do things that compensate to try to reduce <gasps> that. Cross your arms over your belly, yes. pull that shirt over down mm -hmm. past your fupa. And then you're, oh, your fupa. You, we know the, the lovely fupa. <laughs> I call it a food pa, though. Mine's a food pa now that I've gained some weight. <laughs> so you're constantly thinking about it. And then you have to look at what are those thoughts. Those thoughts are usually negative. Those thoughts are usually pretty exacerbated. Like for the most part, most people with body dysmorphia, if the average person were to look at them, they wouldn't see what the person is seeing. Mm. They wouldn't see this kind of giant belly that the person is thinking that they have. They right. would look like just a normal average person. Right. Eating disorders, there's a variety. There's, okay. there's many different kinds. And then there's also like some that just fit into this other category. And I would say that you're, you know, kind of the need to control your food probably fell into that category, but it could have fallen into, say, the anorexia category if the control meant that you were taking your body weight down to a certain amount, mm -hmm. where your BMI was a certain level, yeah. um, where you felt that need to you know, make sure you monitored your food, and you also had a really negative view of your body, which in your case, it sounded like for the, you know, the beginning of it, you really were enjoying it. And then you saw how it became, you know, this this thing that you were trying to achieve, this way that yes. you were trying to come. And I noticed every little thing. Yes. yes. All the time. So Okay. Well, I'll also say what you're describing sounds common. I don't know, my fam, if you guys are listening, if this already kind of rings true to you. Okay, let's continue on then. Mm -hmm. If you do feel like you've checked some of these boxes right. to be um, guilty of having body dysmorphia or, and I don't want to say guilty, it's not a bad thing, but you do happen to have body dysmorphia or some form of an eating disorder. What next? Well, it, I think it starts at your thoughts. I love okay. what you said in the beginning of the show that you're really about like looking into what are we thinking about ourselves? Yes. I'm certified in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm also very interested in mindfulness. That's something that Ooh. I adopted in the beginning of my um, my program for nutrition, I, I I found I kind of found myself in that because I was so anxious about starting school again, and I was in biochemistry and I didn't know how to like handle the stress. So I started to meditate, and in meditating, I started to become really interested in mindfulness. Um, 
So basically, how we control our thoughts is by examining them first. So in like cognitive behavioral therapy, you look at what are your main thoughts? What kind of thoughts are coming up for you on a regular basis, whether they're conscious or unconscious? Then how do those thoughts make you feel? And then how do you act in the world based on those thoughts? Ooh, that's kind of a cool exercise. Like what if, this is crazy, but follow me here, fam. What if for one day you just kept either your notes on your phone or a, right. a pad of paper and you just jotted down your note, your mm-hmm. thoughts every hour, mm-hmm. like have a little alarm and just what did you kind of ramble through your thoughts right. in, in that? I do give that to clients. I oh, think you do? Is that re- an exercise? Yes. It's really important <laughs> to start to monitor your thoughts. Yeah. Because when you realize without even kind of necessarily being aware of it, especially if you're you know, suffering from some form of body dysmorphia or you're really worried about your weight or really any kind of problem that you might be having, it's usually coming from some kind of thought pattern that's negative. That goes back. That that usually starts in childhood. Yeah. It usually starts with who, you know, yeah. we or who our family is, what we grew up with, what our friends were like, what our schooling was like. And it's formulated over years and years right. and years. So we get this idea of ourselves and we tell ourselves we are this certain person. But what I like to tell people is that they're not their thoughts. Your thoughts are your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. You may have thought the same way for 20, 30, 40 years, the same exact way, but that might not necessarily be who you are. Right. So getting an idea of what your negative thoughts are. Then when you add mindfulness in it, mindfulness is a non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. It's an attunement to what's happening right now. That's really beautiful, the non-judgmental part. Mm -hmm. Really hard. Really hard. But when it's achieved, I believe firmly with all of my heart that it's the key to happiness. The key. Because what happens to us is we're going either... to drop the mic, but this is an expensive <laughs> mic. That's so good, doctor. <gasps> and you fit, please finish what you were just saying. So basically what I see in people is that they're either caught in the past, ruminating about the past, depressed about what has happened before, or they're anxious and they're worried and they're preoccupied with the future. Mindfulness takes you smack dab in the center right in the present moment where if you were really to be in the present moment, you realize unless you're in the middle of like a terrorist attack, unless you're, you know, you know, being held up. Yeah. Right. It's perfect. So if we were to look at this moment right now, I'm sitting across a a gorgeous, beautiful, amazing woman. I find you to be one of the proponents of mental health awareness and the reduction of stigma. And I think what you do is so important because it allows people that opportunity to feel like they can express what's happened to them without any kind of shame and without worrying about like, oh, you know, if I go seek therapy, I'm going to be looked at as sick sick or weird. Mm -hmm. So what, what we're doing right now, I believe is Absolutely perfect and completely beautiful. You're right, doctor. And I've been doing this as far as interviews for so many years Mm -hmm. to say that I can distinctly remember what I would be thinking before. 
Before, mm. when I wasn't present or learned about mindfulness, right. I would be thinking, do I look cute in this outfit? Right. Um, is my role, are my roles showing as I'm leaning over to look at you right now? Mm -hmm. um, I think I ate too much. I think I ate some, you know, something fattening earlier, so I'm going to make sure I'm going to get a run in. Right. Um, do I sound smart to you? Am I saying something that you're like, oh, this is great, or are you like, oh, God, I wish I never came? Mm -hmm. This would be going through my mind the entire time. Right. Whereas right now, I'm sitting and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am so thankful to have somebody in so many different expertises, mm -hmm. not only what I've experienced, but what I had no help in before, mm -hmm. no way of understanding what I was going through to ask questions. Right. And here you are laying it out in such a way that we could help just one person out there recognize exactly. what to do. And it's actually something they can gain on their own. They mm -hmm. don't have to go out and pay a bazillion dollars to get. Mindfulness is something you can learn on your own. Exactly. So I'm present right now to thank you thank for being here and to say <laughs> um, that I can't wait to learn more about how to be mindful after we take this break. So thank you, doctor. Thank you. One second, guys. We're coming right back. I want us to talk about body positivity. Okay. How we can learn how to love our bodies and how health and wellness can be the main focus as opposed to being skinny, thin, this and that, and, you know. Yeah, totally. Right. Okay, so how does it start? We've already, my fam, if you're just tuning back in, I hope rewind a little bit and get doctor's checklist on body dysmorphia and eating disorders. Kind of get an idea of whether or not you fall into this. And you kind of just know sometimes, too. You know if mm -hmm. you've been putting yourself down more mm -hmm. so than you've been uplifting. And I would have to say that I think it's more people than it's not. Right. Okay. So now that we've we've... We've acknowledged that we're there. Mindfulness, how does this play a role in body positivity? How do we go there? So if you're checking in with yourself mindfully, yep. without judgment, and you're looking at your thoughts on a general basis and they're negative, what kind of thoughts would be like your, your negative thoughts on a general basis? Mine? Okay, so mine, I just want everybody to know out there, I've just learned about mindfulness. I'm a mindfulness uh, poser. <laughs> I've learned about it maybe... A year ago, after divorce, I looked for ways to go self-love. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we know one way is eat, love, eat, pray, love, mm -hmm. which I didn't have the time to be able to do that. And that's super expensive. <laughs> and I have Mama Mai to feed. I'm just kidding. But no, I really did have things to do where I couldn't just travel the world. And I wanted to get it so that I could tune into it anytime throughout any part of the year. Mm -hmm. So I learned after picking up a book by Thit Nhat Han. Oh, wonderful. Oh, you love him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you guys don't know, he's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk and he has this small little pocket handbook about mindfulness. And this is why <laughs> you can see me devouring mm -hmm. doctor's um, intellect right now because this pocketbook wasn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. It basically taught me that mindfulness was being so present that even if you're sitting there eating an orange, when you peel the orange, feel the, the, the skin, realize that it started as a seed to become the skin that is holding in flesh and veins of a beautiful citrus fruit that's so aromatic, that's going to nourish you, refresh you. People use it as scents and soaps and, and, and you know, um, spas in order to awaken you. And here you are eating something that just started as a seed. Like, mm. that's intense. That's everybody mindful just, eating. That, right, everybody here was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Just eat the orange. I get it. I get it. But there's something deeper in that, in that when's the last time you were actually present in what you're doing, whether it's asking somebody, how are you doing, and listening to the answer. Mm -hmm. How many times have you forgotten someone's name when you asked them what their name was? It's because you weren't mindful. Right. How many times were you enjoying the seminar you were sitting in or the job that you have or the dinner that you have been a guest to rather than worrying about where you're going to go next right. or what you're wearing? Mm -hmm. So... Now, to me, 
when I know what mindfulness is, I will be honest to tell you, doctor, that I still get negative thoughts because mm -hmm. I know that I've had some trauma in my past. Mm -hmm. So I have to switch back. I have to, I, I, I'm, the mindfulness for me is feeling myself doing it and then calling myself out of it. There you go. Oh, that's the key. So that's good? Mm -hmm. Okay, so to answer your question, when you said what are some of the negative thoughts, mm -hmm. it'll be, am I good enough? Mm -hmm. um, am I saying the right things? Mm -hmm. Did I say something stupid just now? Mm -hmm. um, do I look stupid in this outfit? No, I get, it's not a do I look stupid in this outfit. It'll get like, Jeannie, did you put enough time into this outfit? Is it is it the best on you? Do you look good? Mm -hmm. Do you look cute? Do you feel cute? Um, th those are the type of thoughts. Right. And then I'll catch myself. And what do you do when okay. you catch yourself? Because that's the key. So I catch myself because I made a promise to myself about a year ago to stop putting myself down. Mm -hmm. To actually enjoy who I am, even if I'm in a pair of sweats, because I look cute in a pair of sweats. <laughs> even if I didn't say something cute, that's part of who I am. Right. I didn't say the right thing, but guess what? I was real. And I was just being myself in the moment. Mm -hmm. And if I thought about it more, I could add some more depth to it. And that's the good part. I can always have a chance every single day that I have to speak. So I say those things to myself mm -hmm. to positive talk myself. Right. And that is self-compassion. Self-compassion. Self-compassion, I think, is the key to increasing your body image in your mind. It's not about, am I going to look cuter? It's about being compassionate to yourself. So for you, your, was, your previous talk was not enough talk. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Yes. Did I do something wrong? Are they going to you know, judge me for that? Right. And then now, as you're really becoming aware of your thoughts... You're saying, you did great. You you look great. You don't have to worry about that. It's really more about what you said. It's more about who you are as a person. So those are the things that you're starting to say right. to yourself more. That's what I try to get my clients to, to do is, is the switch. If you can, if you can, uh, uh, Henry Ford has a really great um, quote. And it, the quote is, whether you think you are or you think you're not, you're right. Ooh. So you're thinking, if, if your thinking is constantly, I am not enough, I am not good enough, I am not thin enough, I don't fit into this ideal, I am never going to be a size two, whatever those thoughts are, you're absolutely right. Shit, that sucks. <laughs> I don't like those thoughts to be right. Right. So if you can spend all of that time thinking those thoughts, can't you spend all of this time thinking, I am enough exactly as I am. I'm a beautiful person from the inside out. I provide, you know, help to all of my family members. I am an amazing celebrity personality mm. that brings about mental health awareness mm. to millions and millions of people. I provide goodness and positivity and light to people that I'm do you see how it's getting away from how you look? I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice that. Right? When you shifted away from physical and aesthetics to really put value mm -hmm. into who, for example, I am. Right. So let's break that down a little bit further for the average listener out there who notices they do down talk. Mm -hmm. I'm sure probably in just this podcast, there might have been at least two or three different statements that came past your mind mm -hmm. that aren't the best for you. Okay, so at that moment, what do you do? Because I think some people out there would think they 
look crazy if they just are constantly talking to themselves. And how are you mindful when you have kids or you have a job or you're right. driving to get somewhere and you're Google mapping it and you got to pay attention? Right. How do you do it, doctor? Well, I think that obviously when you're driving, I want you to be driving. Right. <laughs> uh, but you can be present in the moment as you're driving as opposed to thinking about how awful you look. Okay. Right? Yeah. So oftentimes I'll give people exercises as they're driving to, because I think driving is one of the main places where we like talk down to ourselves. It can be meditative. Well, but it can be meditative. That's what I want it to be. So Give us an exercise. So as you're driving next time, I want you to call out every single thing that you see. You mean like the street sign? Brown car, pretty lady, tree, look at the bird. I want you to call it out as you're going along. Nothing but call out what you're seeing. Okay. And what that does is it puts you smack dab, present moment. You're not thinking about anything else except for what you're doing. You're right. Right? Right. Other ways that you can do this is say that you are in the middle of something and you notice one of the negative thoughts coming into your mind. Okay. Stopping, finding that awareness and having an, another thought that you can replace that with. So if the thought is, I'm never good enough, what can you replace that with? And in that moment, because this could be hard for some people, mm-hmm. you've got to find something that is valuable about yourself, whether it's how you've been accomplishing your studies, mm-hmm. if you are a great mom, mm-hmm. that you've managed to be married successfully for X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Like those are accomplishments, right? Right. And stay away from looks. Right. Even if you are focusing on your looks, instead of saying how ugly I am, I look disgusting, Mm -hmm. looking in the mirror and saying, wow, I really like my eyes. They're so pretty. You can always pick something you like. There's something. Hell, your elbows are fine. Right. I like your elbows. And they're creamy because you just put cocoa butter on them. Look at those toes. Right. Just got a pedicure. Girl. Aren't they cute? It can be fun like that. And it totally can. Right. And it can be realistic. Right. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, but if I'm this weight, how can I possibly find something good? There's always something good about you. You're right. You know, it's also something you made me think about is when you were giving that exercise that we should all, by the way, practice while we're driving, because I'm hoping you're listening to listen, honey, when you drive. (laughs) But when you're not listening to my podcast, you should practice your exercise doctor that you just said about being present. But I noticed that when you do that enough, you'll find that the habit of being present will be so prevalent that when your mind is watering and you're when your mind is wandering and you're not present you'll notice yourself exactly you'll notice yourself mm-hmm. dwindling off does when, that make sense absolutely you want to train yourself to mm-hmm. actually be aware of when you're present than when you're not because i think most people right now are more comfortable in the not being present exactly they're in their thoughts of what are they doing tomorrow what are they thinking right now what happened last night right than right now. Right. What's the air like? So What's the weather like? So like you, in yeah. a position like you, you have to be attuned, right? You have to be yes. in the present moment to stay in this conversation. Mm. Otherwise, your mind is going to wander. You're not really listening. Correct. It's no different being a therapist. So oh. I find that I am constantly practicing mindfulness by just being aware and being present and listening. Yeah. And so I find that if I'm doing that in every aspect of my life, I'm in the present moment. I'm not thinking about myself in the past. I'm not worried about myself in the future. And I know every time that I'm present in the moment, I'm happy. That's major. That's why I say it's the key to happiness. If we can 
put away these negative thoughts about ourselves, replace them with something positive in the moment, especially in the moment, acknowledge them and then carry on with our day mindfully, working with our kids, working with our our coworkers, uh, being there with your spouse, really being there with your spouse as opposed to being distracted or on your Mm. phone or all of those things. That is the key to happiness. Interesting. So once you are able to get yourself into the habit of that and you're now mindful, Mm -hmm. and let's just say, because I I get a lot of DMs from my podcast. Thank you all, you guys. Thank you so much for every single time you screenshot a podcast and you show me where you're listening to it and you send me questions because I remember them to funnel them back to the Mm -hmm. right guests. But what I also get is a lot of people who will tell me they've learned about their anxiety or their childhood trauma and then their current situation to them sucks. Mm-hmm. It'll be like they're in a relationship where they're not happy with their spouse or their boyfriend who they feel like may be cheating. Mm-hmm. They don't um, feel like they're at all successful in life. Things feel overwhelming or too much pressure. So let's say we've gained the art of being mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So now you're aware of your thoughts. But the situation around you just feels too burdensome. Mm-hmm. Feels like you're just buried in things that you're not happy about. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to start to kind of change the conditions around you? Right. So that's, you know, a complicated process. So I think that there's there's a lot of different things that you can do. Having that awareness of knowing what is not necessarily working in your life, pinpointing that and creating a goal. Oh, okay. Because once you've been mindful to uh, hopefully you've cleared out the clutter right. so you can see the issues. It right. might be that boyfriend that's toxic for you. Right. It might be that job that brings you unhappiness. Exactly. You're right. So mindfulness helps you clear the smoke mm-hmm. so you can look at the issues at hand and do something about right. them. And especially look at them realistically. Mm. Looking at them from a more compassionate standpoint. So How do you do that? So while you are increasing your own self-compassion, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, oh, what nice eyes you have. You you are a beautiful person. You have these gorgeous little toes. You are also <laughs> starting to like do this in your life, right? A lot of people look at their lives and think, okay, well, I had a really terrible upbringing. I had all of these problems. Yes. And when you look back into the past with an, a level of compassion and empathy for everyone and everything that came in to your life and you look at those things as lessons for you in how you can grow to become a better person yeah that's how you can funnel all of that kind of negativity that's happening oh and funnel it into well what now okay now that I know all of this stuff now that I know that this was toxic for me that these people were you know treating me poorly or um, you know I didn't get this as a child what do I want and need now and doctor, that'll help you give get an arsenal of positive things to offset the negative things if your mind happens to go down that route right. of, I had a sucky childhood, my parents were whack, mm-hmm. I um, am broke and continuously broke. But when you look at the lessons you may learn mm-hmm. in some of these situations, yeah. those are the things you can say as the compliment to immediately reverse that down talk. Right. Right? So I'm sure you went through that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I haven't done that, but I haven't thought about that. Like, um, for example... When it comes to childhood trauma, for me, acknowledging it was a big step Mm -hmm. and then my clearing the clutter was um, confronting people in my life that didn't 
uphold their responsibility, you mm-hmm. know, that they should have when I needed them. Right. So like my mom mm-hmm. and then even myself when I turned into a people pleaser because I just kind of got steamrolled there. And then mm-hmm. I allowed myself to continue doing so until I was about 35 and then I made changes. So mm-hmm. you're teaching me to look at the lessons because I think and part of me has been so bitter about the trauma mm-hmm. that I've looked at it like, well, I survived and now I'm going to plow forward and not let that happen to anybody else. Right. So advocating for trafficking and talking about sexual abuse so other people can find freedom is important. Right. But you're saying, wait, stop. Look at that and look at the lessons you learned mm-hmm. there. Like if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't learn some arsenal of lessons that maybe the average person wouldn't have gotten right. outside of me. So learning that I am super valuable and honestly because I didn't recognize my value and my worth at that time, I those things happened to me a little easier than somebody who kind of knew how to say no. Right, right. Or knew how to run from the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that I survived and I'm super resilient. Exactly. Because I managed to at least get up, find a job, make something of myself, mm-hmm. have friends and family today mm-hmm. instead of sitting there curled up in a ball crying about my situation. What else? Um, I would also say I learned that I don't want to say in L.A. they tell you to fake it till you make it. Mm. So I could have been that girl that came from that situation and just faked having it all together, having all the answers, being Mm -hmm. cool and popular. Mm -hmm. But no, I faced it till I made it. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I just put my thoughts aside about myself and just went went towards my career, went towards being in front of the camera, knowing that I knew my shit and Mm -hmm. I knew what to say and I know knew my, you know, I knew how much I cared about people in order to be a good host. Mm -hmm. And I made my way in my career. So I faced it enough to go, oh, I, I do have faith in myself. I, I am good at what I do. Don't question it. Just keep doing what you do naturally. Like you go into a room and you don't go, doctor, are you going to know what to say to these people? Are you a good therapist? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are, are you sure you're great in your credentials? No, you go in there and you move off who you know you are, which right. is a person who cares and mm-hmm. wants to heal. And so therefore you have healed clients mm-hmm. and people who are on great journeys to right. be better. So I think that's what I learned is that the body, the human mind, and the body, you're super capable if you get out of your own damn way. There you go. That's the key. Yeah. I just unpacked that for the first time. That's insane. Plus, you're helping all sorts of other people feel comfortable and okay to be able to face that and move forward in their lives mm. and find those lessons for themselves. For sure. So it's completely valuable. If you hadn't gone through all of that, I know you wouldn't a, be there. That's a hard one to acknowledge. Know. You know, sometimes some people, I mean, have gone through worse traumas than me. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say, wow, I'm thankful that I went through those things. But that is a big first step. Right. That's a big first step to say, had I not gone through those things, I wouldn't have known this. Exactly. Nowadays, instead of even caring about fashion or makeup and things like that, I feel so sexy when I'm smarter. Mm-hmm. When I understand what mindfulness is and how. I can have some of that. Right. When I read about eating disorders mm-hmm. and how it can be common, and you can slip into it, but you can also get yourself out of it. Right. When I understand, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I feel more powerful to take on whatever it is right. I need. So right. that kept you really confident in being able to do what you do for others. Right. And for the average person out there, being able to educate yourself on either your, your things that you're passionate about mm-hmm. to focus on that or areas of need you have in the mental department right. or the spiritual department, right. just learning more and getting more knowledgeable about things that you can have access right. to can really change your life. Plus, I started to meditate. That was like, I think, probably the biggest turning point in okay. my life. And meditation is 
a really strange and amazing process. It is because the average person, and that's me, the average person thinks meditating is sitting on a hill yeah. with my legs in that weird Lotus crisscross, position, yeah, whatever position, and chanting. Yep, and then yelping out to yourself in weird noises. Right. But I know it's not, but I'm still learning that one. So break meditating that one down. Meditating is whatever you want it to be. How do you know when you're meditating, though? Because if I'm sitting there watching Real Housewives eating popcorn and thinking I'm meditating, that's not going to be it. Well, you're really not meditating if you're watching TV. It really does have to be someplace where you are in a solo activity. You can have music. You can have guided meditation. You can be lying down. You can be standing up. You can be walking. There's so many different ways that you can meditate. Can you give for my listeners out there, can you give my listeners out there a really basic couple of examples of how to meditate so that we could actually do it either after this podcast or tomorrow morning like give us a couple staples so that it doesn't feel like we have to go to a class for it you know what I mean so this is I think probably one of the simplest forms of meditation it's also called grounding but basically you sit in a chair you can do it lying down as well you can do it standing it really doesn't matter where you are in space okay as long as you have your feet firmly planted on the ground oh Okay. It, I think is more helpful when you're sitting because basically this is how you do it. So you plant your feet firmly on the I'm ground. actually doing it like right now because I want to get into this. this is, I'm serious and we're going to stay in touch and I'm going to see if this works for me after one month of doing this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So my feet are firmly on the ground. Firmly I'm sitting on, ground, on my chair. Sitting on your chair. You can be leaning back. You can be just sitting up straight. Uh, but the first thing that I want you to do is bring awareness to your breath. So... In awareness to your breath, I want you to inhale through your nose, and you can count to five as you do it. Exhale through your mouth. Inhale through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. By the way, just two already make me feel so calm. Right? Yeah. So keep doing it. Inhale. Exhale. As you're breathing, I want you to notice the room. What kind of lighting is in the room? What does this fuzzy cloth feel like under your hands? How does my voice sound to you? Do you hear any other sounds in the room? What does the air feel like on your skin? Notice everything that is around you without any air of like judging it, it just is. It just is. How does your body feel? Are there some areas of tension? Are there some areas that are totally relaxed? And all you're doing is inhaling and exhaling. Inhaling and exhaling. Doing that for five minutes. Doctor, we did that for like 30 seconds. I feel like a whole nother unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> I feel amazing. Yep. No, I'm serious. I yeah. literally closed my eyes and just lost myself mm-hmm. in your voice. And I started to feel the ambiance around me. Right. And it's funny that you said non-judgmental because the first part I saw it, I said, the lighting is too bright in here. It's like I'm in Home Depot. <laughs> and then when you said non-judgmental, I was like, I can see in this light. Yeah. It's soft. It's white. It's beautiful. Right. I mean, you don't even... I mean, Saying is beautiful is a judgment too, but you know. Yeah, but but, but it, it is. But it's not a downplay on something, right, right? And it's not enough to distract me from what 
So what's happening in your body is you either, you have two forms of like a nervous system. You have your sympathetic nervous system and you have your parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight. That's when you're anxious, you can't breathe, you're, you know, you're getting ready to either like fight or flee or Mm. freeze. You have your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and your relax and your digest system. Meditating puts you into that system. Ah. And it's activated by that breathing. So if you want to calm down in the moment, if you want to feel better immediately in that moment, all you have to do is inhale and exhale and inhale and exhale. You immediately, it's a physiological response. It really did for me. And the more you do that, there's all of these amazing things that happen to your mind. They've actually shown that you, your corpus callosum, which is the, the fibers, the nerve fibers between your brain. Oh, the squiggly your, your, lines. Your, uh, the that lobes make it of your look brain. wormy, yeah. Well, that, they, they help in multitasking. They've shown that those have actually increased in people who are long-term meditators. Um, self-compassion and compassion, empathy, all increase with increased meditation. There's just so many amazing things. Your body tends to be more relaxed on a general basis. You tend to have less pain. You tend to be healthier in many ways. Wow. So there's so many benefits to doing that and to changing the way that you think about yourself. That those those two things, if you were to focus on only those two things, you don't have to go to a therapist. You don't have to uh, you know, read a million self-help books. If you were to focus on your breathing and you were to change the way that you think about yourself and about the world with practice on both, because both take a tremendous amount of practice, yes. you can completely and totally change your life. It's just like Henry Ford. You either think you are or you think you're not. In either case, you're both right. Doctor, this is so enlightening. Thank you so much for teaching us the two basic things we can do to begin our journey towards happiness. Sam, if you're listening, please do practice these things. In in fact, I encourage you tomorrow to wake up and before you get out of bed, even set your alarm maybe five minutes before you actually have to get up to go start the kids, start your day, and take those five minutes for yourself and basically do exactly what we just learned, which is to plant your feet on the ground, Settle yourself so that you're in a still position by yourself Mm -hmm. and begin to breathe five seconds in through your nose, Mm -hmm. five seconds out, and just feel everything around you so that you can practice what it's like to be actually present. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the day, jot down some of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. On the hour, just write down some of your thoughts to see what it is that habitually comes throughout your mind. And at the end of the day, tally that up and look at it. Are you in the majority of thinking great thoughts for yourself mm-hmm. or are you in the majority of putting yourself down or stressing yourself out or worrying yourself for no reason? Mm-hmm. And from there, you can start to take action towards clearing the clutter of your mind, continuing to be mindful so that you can start to make the changes you need. Mm-hmm. Doctor, where can we find more information? Because I'm like fangirling over you. Where can we get Thank more information you. from you? Where can we connect with you? Maybe if we want a session also, mm-hmm. how do we do so? I uh, I have a website. It's okay. Dr.Supatra.com. Okay, you got to spell that because even <laughs> I had, a, had, had had some trouble pronouncing pronouncing your name. It's D-R-S-U-P-A-T-R-A yep. T-O-V-A-R 
Facebook.com. Dr. Supatra Tovar. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. You can just uh, Google it. I, I don't know really how, like, the... Yeah, we can look for you on Facebook. It's at Dr. Supatra Tovar and I'll be, on yeah. Insta and then... And I'll be including all of your links, too. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 So if you liked this episode, please do screenshot where you're listening to this. I love seeing pictures of you guys in the car. I've seen baby seats with, you know, your kids with you as you're listening, which I think is so dope, by the way. That's great. I mean, they can listen to some trap, but like once in a while, let them listen to something that might just help them when they grow up. Um, and... Let me know exactly what part of this podcast helped you because I'm going to be tagging you, doctor, and I'm also oh, going to be keeping in touch with doctor because I think it's great for you to hear what resonates with other people out there so you can continue on helping us. I would love it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a beautiful week, and I can't wait to see you guys in my DMs and also on my comments on my Instagram. Every single week, I post the new episode on Mondays on my Instagram. And there is where I read all of your comments to hear what you'd like to hear in the upcoming episodes and what you liked most from this one. So please do let me know and share the podcast with friends because we want everybody to be healthier and happier together. All right, you guys have an amazing week. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.